This is No BS Job Search Advice Radio, episode 2381. I'm Jeff Alpin, the Day Game Hunter, and welcome to Friday in my interview with Stephen Rothberg of collegerecruiter.com. Now, if you're a parent, listen to the show and then send it to your student so that this way you're on board and understand some of the things that we're telling them so that you can kind of kick them in the butt, right? so that they don't make some of these mistakes. Stephen at collegerecruiter.com is one of the veteran people in the job board industry, specifically as relates to the college student and the, you know, the less than three-year professional uh, once they're on board. He's a great resource. Hope you find this show helpful. Give it a great review wherever you listen to it. And now, let's get going and have a good weekend. So my guest today is Stephen Rothberg. Stephen is the founder and chief visionary officer of collegerecruiter.com, a job site where Fortune 1000 companies, government agencies, and other employers who hire at scale advertise their job openings, which tend to be part-time, seasonal internships, and other entry-level <laughs> jobs that require zero to three years of experience. At any given time, there are about, catch this one, folks, 2 million active job postings on collegerecruiter.com. Steven, welcome. Thanks for making time today. Well, it's so great to be here, Jeff. The sun is shining and your face is beaming. Oh, oh. <laughs> I know I was entertaining. <laughs> and folks, we're going to be talking to those of you who are about to graduate school or, or your senior year and talk with you about some of the misconceptions I think you have, and I, I know Stephen believes you have, as you enter into the workforce about what this process is going to be like. So we're going to do a top 10 list. Ooh. So, <laughs> Stephen, what do you think the first one is? Okay. Oh, well, you can, am I, I guess I'm David Letterman here, right? So with the top 10 list, you know, probably the biggest misconception that we hear at, at, at College Recruiter from employers from students recent grads career services is this and it's been this way forever um, we went live in 96 it's been that this way since before we went live but people have this perception that if they that that by the day they graduate they need to have a job lined up no, and and maybe that way. was yeah it's like maybe that was true when my grandparents were graduating and maybe even my parents like in the 40s and 50s but you know, for as long as I've been able to like put my own socks on, it just hasn't been true. The reality is, is that in most years, most students graduate without a job. And within six months of graduating, the vast majority of them have a job in their chosen career path. That path might be consistent with their major. They might be an engineer if they went through engineering school. And it might be something completely different. They might have gone through engineering school, but what they really want to do is create art and sell it on Etsy. And that's what they're doing, whatever it is. Um, so you don't have a job lined up by graduation. Take a chill pill. You're in good company. It is so true. And even when I went back to uh, what was in school and was graduating back when dinosaurs roamed the earth, yeah, there was there were some type A personalities that 
were working hard in their senior year. They were wearing suits onto the college campuses. Folks, you've seen movies from the 60s. No one ever wore suits. But these, <laughs> little, these little Republicans, no, no disrespect to Republicans. I really mean that. But 1960, come on. These Nixon Republicans were wearing suits on campus, and we were making fun of them relentlessly. So I'll just simply say, don't sweat it. Don't sweat it. You weren't focused on this. You were having a good time trying to get grades, maybe. And now you're out there and now you're saying to yourself, oh, shoot. Or maybe the other word. Uh, I'd have to find a job because I don't want to live with these people forever. Uh, so and they don't want you to live with them forever either. <laughs> <laughs> but they tend to be more discreet about it because they understand that they're the fallback position. So they really want to get you out. So it's now the time to start focusing. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. And, and, there, and, and to be clear, right, Jeff, there's nothing wrong with having a job before you graduate. There's a lot of good stuff with that. I, I, I did. And it relieved a lot of pressure, a lot of stress. I could enjoy the last few months of school. That was all great. But don't sweat it if you're in roughly the half that don't. Um, ready for number two? Number two! So you can, I, at some point in this, you're going to have to pretend that you're the count on Sesame Street, and but not this one. So here's another really big misconception. And I hear this more from employers and more from the college career service offices than I do from the actual candidates. But a lot of employers and a lot of career service office people would have us believe that the only good place to find an internship if you're a student or the only good place to find an entry level job if you're graduating is through your college or university career service office. Oh no! And I have two letters for you, BS. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I have a friend who's worked in one of those college offices uh, and he's a former executive recruiter, retired, moved south. And every once in a while, you know, he teaches classes now, he's gotten his PhD, but because of his previous career, they bring him into the career services office to teach mm -hmm. the folks there how to do it. And they are clueless absolutely clueless. And yes, some jobs may come into their offices, but most of the time they're going to give you some of the most asinine, anachronistic ideas about how to find work. No, this yeah. is not the, there, not the place to focus. There, there are, there are about 7,400 post-secondary schools in the U.S., one-year, two-year, four-year colleges and universities. There is no way that there are 7,400 highly qualified people in that role. And many of those offices have multiple people. I think the reality is if you go to one of the 100 or 200 sort of best funded schools, you're gonna probably get some really good advice. But for the vast majority of the other career service offices, they've got one paid staff person, maybe a couple students who are working on like a work study program. And even if they've got great training and they really want to be able to help you, they just don't have the time. So um, there's an association that a lot of employers and career service offices belong to that's called the National Association of Colleges and Employers, NACE. And they reported, um, I think probably five, six years ago, something like that, that only 15, 1-5% of students find jobs through their career service office. So if you're not 
if if you're not having success finding that job through your career service office again take a chill pill 85 percent of your classmates are just like you use the office they do have good information. There are well-trained people in those offices, the vast majority of them. They want to be able to help you. Most of them don't have time to be able to help you as, as much as they would like. And definitely lots of students find jobs through career services. But the reality is most don't. So use other channels. And here we have one of those friendly disagreements. <laughs> My experience <laughs> has been not all that competent. And I must have came to say, you know, if you're in an A-plus university, you probably have an A-plus career services yeah. office. If you went to a school no one's ever heard the name of before, uh, probably you don't. Bingo. Uh, you have to start looking outside of that venue. Even though they promised you upon admission that they were there to help, mm -hmm. they just don't have the ability to. Yeah, and as and as a University of Minnesota alum, I think we can we can agree that you definitely don't want to go to the University of Wisconsin or or count on any help from them. Right? That's just expression better dead than red. Um, sorry, just had to work that in here somehow. Um, number three, number three, ha 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 ha. Um, Number three is the flip side of this, that using your career service office is a waste of time. This I hear from students. I usually hear this from students or, or recent grads who have never actually used their career service office. So it's kind of like friends of mine who won't try sushi, but say that sushi is really awful, right? If you've tried the sushi and you really don't like it, that's fair. If you've used your career service office and they were a bunch of idiots, they couldn't help you, they wouldn't help you, whatever, fair enough. But if you haven't tried using your career service office, do. Most of those offices do have good information. Most of them do have employers coming on campus who are specifically looking to hire people like you. Most of the career counselors, career service office directors, um, do have a lot of training to help people like you. And so a lot of students do find jobs or other help, resume writing assistance, interview, coaching, whatever, through those offices. It is not a waste of time for some students. But again, I think we're in agreement that the better funded the office, the more likely it is that you're going to get the help that you need, and the reality is universities have chosen to fund football stadiums a lot more than they've chosen to fund career services. Go figure. <laughs> the, the place where they make the money, the place where it's already too late, you're not, not getting any more money from you. Uh, so um, what a surprise. Are we up to number four? Or absolutely, we're, we're just still in single digits, so you and I are able to count this high. Um, another misconception, and this one I'm going to pin right on the students and recent grads, and this is the cheapness factor. I have a friend who has a computer, and she has written three resumes in her life, and therefore, she should write mine. Nope. If you can afford it, have a professional do it. If your car needs repairs, might you have a friend who can repair it? Yeah, maybe. You know, if you need 
your wisdom teeth pulled, might you have a friend who can do that? Maybe, um, you know, if they're a dentist and they have the proper tools and whatever. But the reality is, is that very few people have any experience whatsoever in writing resumes and writing them in a way that is compelling and designed to, to do what the resume is designed to do, right? In my view, the resume is a document that is supposed to get you from, from point zero to point one. In other words, starting your application and getting an interview. And once you have that interview, then a lot of other things become a heck of a lot more important. Um, but a resume is a, it's a specific kind of a document. You can be the world's best writer and be horrible at writing resumes or the other way around. So get help from an expert, whether that's some kind of great software, whether that's a, a career coach, whether that's somebody who writes resumes for a living. But boy, when I see people complaining about they've applied to 50 jobs and I look at their skill set and I look at the jobs they're applying to and it's like, there's something missing here. Why aren't they getting interviews? Nine times out of 10, it's the resume. And the resume that they're sending out repetitively without edits to demonstrate how they fit that particular job. Oh, yeah. So they act like the broken watch that's right twice a day. You know, they send it out constantly and it doesn't make a case for that job it's one thing if you post that resume on a job board because you need something generic to draw people to you but when you're applying for something you want to do a certain amount of tailoring to demonstrate the fit but your point was that all your friends and all your family do not resume writers that mm -hmm. even your dad your mom who ain't work professionally your aunt or uncle you know, whomever it is, they're not resume writers. They may read them, but it's different. So mm -hmm. hire someone who knows how to do this because yep. trust me, it's different writing for you than for someone with 15 or 20 years of experience. Yeah. And they're not going to know how to write your resume. And you're going to look at it and you're going to have to smile and say, thanks, mom. Thanks, dad. And you know it sucks. <laughs> and they feel and then, and like then you, you have to use it. <laughs> yeah, and then you don't want to show them the resume that you're actually using, which is right. not the one that they helped you with. But uh, hey, moms and dads are great. As a dad, I can say dads are great. Well, occasionally, maybe some dads. I'll, I'll meet one at some point. Um, ready for the next one? Number five. If I don't graduate with an internship, I'll never get hired into a career-related role. Wrong, I have to do a sound wrong, effect on wrong. this one. <laughs> the buzzer goes off. Not true. Yeah. So this is a misconception that I think is spawned more by the career service office folks than, than anybody else. Um, and one of the things that I really detest about um, how the specifically American higher education system has evolved and it's different in other countries, this is not how the world operates, is that the American higher education system is, is all about the money. And one of the ways that schools make money off the backs of, of students who are racking up a massive amount of student debt is to say to those students that you can only call something an internship if you pay us money so that you can call it an internship 
and then we'll give you one course credit that's going to get you closer to graduation by about 14 minutes. And it's, it's despicable, quite frankly. You can go and you can work and do any job for any employer without the permission of your college or university. And don't let them tell you otherwise. If you can't call it an internship for purposes of getting class credit, you can still call it an internship on your resume because that resume is between you and your employer or potential employer. So if your employer calls it an internship, so can you. Even if you don't pay your school hundreds of dollars for the privilege of having that internship and getting a measly course credit hour. At the end of the day, employers want to hire the candidate that is most likely to be able to do the job. And if you can demonstrate to that employer that you're looking to hire me to do X, Y, and Z, and I have done X, Y, and Z for this other organization, then that employer is not going to care what your job title was. They're not going to care what you were paid. They want more than anything else to know that you can do the work. Um, your previous job title ma matters to get you your foot in the door. Your, the pay you got matters to some employers who are going to try to base the what they pay you on what you were paid in your previous job, although that's becoming less common. Um, but an internship is not something that is in control of your career service office. So true. I did a master's in social work because uh, I was thinking of becoming, becoming a therapist in private practice. And we were forced to do um, four semesters of field work. Mm. And, you know, pay for a part-time job is what mm -hmm. it comes down to. So we were paying the course credits, which were more than a few hundred dollars at the master's level for the privilege of going to, in my case, the first year was awful, um, a social services agency in midtown Manhattan, where termination of the client began at the time of the, that you were doing the intake with them because they were never mm. coming back. It was like a, a place where there were a lot of drugs and alcohol and they were just there for the night and gone, but you had to go through this. And folks, you don't have to in a lot of programs. Masters in social work, you're stuck with it, but many of you don't have to do this. Even if you got a part-time job, I think the idea is if you can flip this into something full-time in graduation, after graduation, that was the original idea of the internships. They get a chance right. to try you out and figure out if they want to hire you. But so much of this now is, is garbage. No reason to put up with it. Yeah. And, you know, the smaller the, the smaller the organization you're working for, the more likely it is that your manager or the owner or the executive director would be very happy to have the conversation with you of, can I call this an internship? I mean, we've, we've had students work for us that we weren't, we weren't advertising the role as an internship. They came to work for us and they're like, you know, I'm basically, I'm interning. Can I call it that? It'd be helpful on my resume. It's like, hell yeah. What you're doing is, is, is basically an internship. And oh, by the way, we're paying you. Um, so let's not get into that part of the conversation. But um, by the way, the social work, work that, that you were describing, 
sounds like they were paying you in drugs and alcohol. I think that's more than fair compensation for that kind of work. But okay, another story for no, another day. No, <laughs> not the case. Not the case. <laughs> so uh, next one, next item. A number six, is it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, think so. Yeah. So now, now we're sort of starting to lose track. It must be the drugs and alcohol. So okay, the next one is. This was something really common for my parents' generation and, and the ones before that. So think like older baby boomers, you know, people who were born in, say, like the 30s, 40s, maybe 50s, um, had this attitude that if you're good at something, that's the career path you should pursue. So like my father, for example, really good at math, so therefore he became an accountant. Miserable at being an accountant. He was good at it, but he didn't like it. So at a relatively early age, I think he was in his 30s, he got the heck out of accounting and, and did something where he could enjoy his life. Um, that I think is, a, is something that the, sort of the current generation of students, Gen Z, has a better handle around. It's one thing to be good at something, it's another thing to have to do that day after day after day after day for the rest of your life. So just because you're good at something doesn't mean that's what you need to have um, as, your, as your chosen career path. That example of your dad um, uh, growing up in, back in the day uh, was very common. And I remember when I went into recruiting, I got that message from my dad, who's trying to be helpful to me, because I'm someone who graduated with an undergraduate in political science. <laughs> for those of you who don't listen to this as a podcast i gave a thumbs up and a sarcastic look on my face so, <laughs> so the reality is you may not like it even though you may have an intrinsic uh, capability to do it just be yeah. aware like if you're not sure of what to do I always encourage people, there are career assessment exams uh, that will give you ideas. They're not perfect. You have to test uh, what they recommend to you. But they give you some ideas of things to explore. Well, how do you test those ideas? You talk to people who are doing the work. I don't know anyone who's doing the work. You can find them on LinkedIn. You can ask people that you know. There's lots of different ways that you can get introduced to someone who's very willing excuse my slang here, to talk to the nice puppy who's mm -hmm. thinking of going into the field, is going to sit there panting in front of them and give you, you know, give you a real idea of what it's like to work in the field, the good, the bad, and the ugly, just so you know, because surprises are never good. Yeah, although what is always good is a Clint Eastwood reference. So um, the good, the bad, and the ugly for those uh, of you who aren't film buffs, but... Uh, Another misconception is higher education is a waste of money. Now, I see this BS being trotted out more and more over the last few years, mostly by people who are wealthy, mostly by people who are highly educated themselves, mostly by people who would never dream of telling their own kids not to pursue some kind of higher education. It is an excuse for keeping lower income and middle income people in lower income and middle income jobs. Um, education is always a good thing. Um, political science degree is unlikely to lead you directly into a job. There just aren't very many job postings that for political scientists, 
but it does do a phenomenal job of training your mind. And the critical thinking skills that you acquire in a major like that are more in demand by more employers than anything else. Um, you can train somebody to read a balance sheet, but you can't train them to think critically. Thank you for letting me know that that's a, those years of tuition I did back in the Stone Ages were not a complete waste. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, another one that bugs me is that, that there's a misconception is that um, you need to accept any job that, that, that is offered to you, that offers great experience instead of great pay. This is sort of the, the unpaid internship um, scenario or somebody who's graduating and being paid poverty wages and the employer will basically say, well, you should be so grateful to work for us. We're gonna give you all this fantastic experience and we're gonna pay you, you know, a pittance or perhaps nothing. Now, in some years during recessions or during depressions, maybe you have to choose between a job that offers great experience and great pay. This is not one of those job markets. You absolutely should be able to find a job that offers both great experience and great pay. And we're recording this in April of 2022. You may watch this at a different time where times are different, but right now we're dealing with labor shortages uh, and firms desperate to find people. They want people who meet certain standards, so they keep recycling resumes over and over again without mm -hmm. pulling the trigger many times. But the reality is, don't fall for this BS. Unless your family is independently wealthy and is willing to write checks to you to deal mm -hmm. with your apartment, to buy you a house, to pay your bills, you're going to need money from somewhere. And if you can't afford to go to work someplace, don't do it. I'll also let you in on a little secret, folks. Once you start that job, continue to look for a while <laughs> to mm. find something that actually will pay you money. And if asked about it, because I never believe in lying, you tell individuals, I need to get to work. I'm making less than subsistence wages. I want to come to join your firm. I'm going to commit to being with you, you know, for a lengthy period of time, pay me properly. You know what cost of living is like here. Imagine being in the Bay Area, making $15 an hour and expecting to find that, that pay your rent and eat. It's one or the other. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, the, the, another problem with taking a job that this isn't a misconception, but just to build on what you were saying, Jeff, is that if you start off working for say $15 an hour and you should really be working at $25 an hour, it becomes really, really hard to get your pay up to the level where it should be because the, the employer that hired you is unlikely to basically double your salary. The next time you're, that you, you deserve a, a raise, they might increase it by five or 10%. You're just never gonna catch up. And there are definitely a lot of employers still who will say, oh, what, okay, well, we're gonna consider hiring you for this job. What were you making in your last job? And you tell them 15 bucks an hour, and then they're gonna, maybe they're gonna offer you 20, when really you should be getting 25 or 30. So mm -hmm. if you start off your career making below market wages, it's going to be really hard 
uh, to catch up. Um, there are places the second- in the country where it's no longer legal to ask about your current salary. That yeah. That's starting to eliminate that scenario. But many people, most parts of the United States, they can still ask that. And in other parts of the world, they could ask. So just be aware, if you take something below market, you're going to hurt yourself for many years to come. That's going to be hard to catch up. Yep, absolutely. Um, Two more, I think. That's what I think, too. So we're up to number nine. Number nine is pressure that I think parents and grandparents put on mostly young adults. So what are you going to do with your life? Like when you're 20 or 21, you know what you're going to be doing when you're 60. Even if you think you know what you're going to be doing when you're 60, right? Put, put down the bong because no, you don't. You at best I think can map out the next five years. Um, you know, for those of us of a certain generation or older that remember the Soviet Union, highly centralized economy. You know, like the trains didn't move unless somebody in the Kremlin said, move that train from A to B. Even the Soviets only had five-year plans because they knew to plan further out than that was just a folly. Now, that's not to say that you can't have dreams and think, hey, I would love when I'm 60 to be doing X, Y, and Z. But to map out your career for the next 40 years, I'm going to be doing this for two years, then that for three years, and then that for 18 months, then that for four years. Gee, no way. So I, I would say at best, Try to figure out where you want to be five years from now and then map that out. Um, there are a number of tools online that are great for career mapping. Um, one of them is a partner of college recruiters. It's a, it's a site called Zipia, uh, Z-I-P-P-I-A. And you can do things like put in a major and it'll say, oh, if you have this major, these are the different occupational paths that you can follow and this is what they pay and you can click and search for jobs in those areas. Or in this case, you can say, hey, I want to have a job with this job title. How do I get there? And it will say, these are the 12 different paths to getting to that. I want to be a project manager. These are the 12 different ways that you can become a, a project manager. But don't try to, don't allow yourself to be put in that parent or grandparent box of what are you going to do when you're their age. You know, they and most of you were raised with the idea of climbing the ladder as though there's a ladder to success. Reid Hoffman, who founded LinkedIn, came up with a different concept a few years ago. He refers to it as a career jungle gym where you're, <laughs> where you're leaping from one part of the jungle gym to another because there's no direct progressions anymore. So yeah. you need to be alert to how your field is evolving and where the opportunities are there because the path is not linear anymore, mm -hmm. especially with all the changes in technology that have occurred and are about to occur. You have to be the CEO of your own career. Don't outsource your career planning to your employer. They have their interests at heart, not yours. And by looking out for yourself, number one, your wages will be higher. And number two, you're not going to get caught short like in musical chairs. Remember musical chairs like when you were little? 
and discover that the field that you've committed to is going away. So be aware of that jungle gym idea, folks. It does make a difference. And number 10. Number 10 is taking a few months off after graduation is a bad idea misconception. I think it is one of the greatest things that a recent grad can do. And that those few months off might come immediately after graduation, or it might be a year or two or three years after graduation. And if you can't afford to take a few months off, and but you can figure out a way of taking a couple of weeks in between graduation and your first job or a couple of weeks in between your second job and your third job, do it. You know, when we look back on our lives and people who are on their deathbeds, no one ever says, I wish I had worked more. But a lot of them say things like, I wish I had experienced more, traveled more, um, you know, sheltered some puppies so that they could find forever homes, whatever it is that really charges your batteries. If you're financially able to take that time, do it. We just hired a, um, a new head of sales and partnerships um, for a college recruiter. And he was working for the same company for, I think it was eight years. And he says to us, is it okay if I take a week off from my last day with my old employer and my first day with college recruiter, right? And in our minds, it's like, well, we wish you had started six months ago, but yeah, take that week off. Once you've been here a month, we're gonna hardly even remember that week, but it will allow you to recharge your batteries and to come in feeling fresh and invigorated. And, you know, when people going straight from, you know, 12, 13, 14 years of school right into the workforce, and then maybe right into another job, and then right into another job. For God's sake, breathe. Take a breath. It's so true. No one is going to care that you took a few weeks off, a few months off after graduation. You're a kid. You're supposed to do stuff like this. Um, mm -hmm. Enjoy your life, because you, when you get to be my age, I'm not going to be assumptive about you, your age, okay? <laughs> there comes the point where you do have regrets about not having done certain things. For now, you may be uh, pushed, shall we say, by parents or other individuals to do stuff that doesn't ring true. Go out and have a good time. You have my permission. <laughs> my permission is more important than your parents, right? Right. Yeah. You know, when I'm talking to people about like what kind of job should, should they be looking for? So like one thing is you want a job that's going to allow you to pay your bills. You want a job that's going to allow you to do meaningful work, things, something that you're interested in that you care about. And you want a job that maybe leaves the world a better place than what you found it. And if you can get all three of those, what else is there? Well, this is where I was about to pull the joke of greed is good. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, an old 1980s movie reference, folks. I apologize. Yes, yes Mr. Gordon Gecko. It's an Oliver Stone movie, so I get permission to use it. But, you know, the fact of the matter is, this is what you'll aspire to. And that's great. And for now, upon graduation, have a little bit of a life because you're gonna be working a lot of hours going forward. 
Stephen, this has been a lot of fun. How can people find out more about you, college recruiter, everything? Yeah, sure. So if you're looking for a part-time seasonal internship, entry-level job, um, we focus on those that have, that require zero to three years of experience. We're global, so we have English language jobs in, in dozens of countries. Um, Go to our site, collegerecruiter.com. You don't need to log in. In fact, we don't accept, we don't make it possible for anybody to register with our site or provide any personally identifiable information. So you know we're not gonna be taking your data and then selling it to the highest bidder. Um, we have literally tens of thousands of employers who are advertising their jobs with us. And it's our, it's our mission to, to help students and recent grads find great, better careers great careers. And for, if an employer happens to stumble into this because they're curious, same mm -hmm. thing, there's information on the site about how to advertise with you, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. They can, they can email me, um, Stephen, S-T-E-V-E-N at collegerecruiter.com um, or LinkedIn, linkedin.com slash I-N slash Stephen Rothberg. Hit me up. Cool. Stephen, thank you. And folks, we'll be back soon with more. I'm Jeff Altman, the Big Game Hunter. Hope you enjoyed this interview. I did. And if you're watching on YouTube, share it, leave a comment, click the like button, do something that lets other people know it was worthwhile. Also, if you're listening to this as a podcast, you can do much the same thing because it does help with the numbers with Apple Podcasts and the other platforms as well. Visit my website, TheBigGameHunter.us. There's a ton in the blog that you can watch, listen to, or read that'll help you find work much more easily. And if you're interested in my coaching you, you can schedule time for a free discovery call with me, schedule time for coaching. You can also find out about my, gu my guides, my books, my courses that'll also help you. Lastly, connect with me on LinkedIn at linkedin.com forward slash IN forward slash The Big Game Hunter. Have a terrific day and most importantly, be great.